How we doing, Watermark? Come on, come on. Hey, excited to be back in this series, The Outsiders, with you. And I know it looks like an uh, aisle at Target behind me. Um, this is the scene that people who were seeking some children, the Wild Boars soccer team, this is what they walked up on. 13 bikes sitting outside a cave. Uh, I don't know if you've followed the story. Uh, if you haven't, welcome to reality. It's been uh, worldwide news the last uh, several weeks. And so this soccer team, the Wild Boar soccer team in Thailand, kind of as a rite of passage, they went into a cave with their 25-year-old soccer coach. It was a, uh, uh, 12 boys, ages 11 to 16. And they go in, and it's rainy season there, so torrential downpour occurs, flash flooding happens, the cave floods and pushes them further back and further back and further back until they're two and a half miles in this cave, huddled up on a rock. Here's a picture of the boys in the cave. And so they've been there. They were in there for nine days, nine days, huddled up on that rock with no food. Their flashlight goes out. It's completely pitch black. They're too scared to be scared, too scared to be scared. And, and you can imagine, or can you even imagine, you're looking for them. Imagine if, if one of these, one of those is my son Weston's bike. Could you imagine if it was one of your children's bike? Sitting outside the cave, symbolizing, hey, they're in there somewhere. What are we going to do to get them out? Answer, anything we can do. Anything we can do. And so people came together from all over the world thinking, hey, we'll dive in. There's a strong current in this cave. Could you imagine the, the first person surfacing? It was a, a British diver. He, the, the boys are there. They've been in there now for nine days. They're hungry. You know, I mean, day one, you're hopeful, right? Day two, you're hungry. Day three, you've given up all hope. Day four, day five, day six. And then on day nine, there's some bubbles coming up out of the water and this man surfaces. Says, I've come for you. We're gonna get you guys out somehow. And then the rescue mission ensues and everybody wants in on that. They're getting people from all over the world saying, hey, we'll help. Hey, I'm a trained driver, hey, diver. Hey, here's something that I can do. Even Elon Musk, like Mr. Tesla's like, hey, I'll build a submarine somehow to get these guys out. There's, a, there's an opening in the cave that's only 15 inches that they had to crawl through. That's a little bit bigger than a foot, can you imagine? that they, these scuba divers have to go through with their tanks and everything. The boys, many of them couldn't swim. None of them knew how to scuba dive. Terrified. And we watch on, you maybe heard Tuesday, they all got out, praise God, all alive. We watch on just because we love this idea of rescuing, right? We love stories of people being rescued. This is the plot played out in many movies. Two forces fighting each other, one good to rescue someone in distress. These are the things we watch. These are the things we love. But it seems really different when we're talking about rescuing someone from hell. See, like if you told me, hey, JP, there's somebody trapped or 
stranded in this creek next door, right across the street from here. They need your help. Like, I'm stepping down from here. I'm doing everything I can to save them. But yet I see people who are headed for hell all the time. And I do nothing. Why? Like, if there was someone caught Stranded in the lake, uh, there was someone, you know, in need of help, someone in need of danger. I have no doubt, right? They've fallen in a well, uh, you know, anything, any kind of stuck situation, they're, they're trapped under a car. Um, I have no doubt that you will use everything at your disposal to go and help them. Being a, a great follower of Christ, hey, whatever is mine, whatever would help save that life, I'm all in, and yet we see people outside the faith, stuck outside the faith all the time, and we do very little about it. And maybe you're here and you're like, man, is that true? I mean, do, do we really not do much about it? I mean, how are we doing as a body? Here's a graph. We asked this question in our annual survey of you, and it says, in the past year, how often have you shared your faith with someone that is far from God? And I want you to focus in on that 9% number because 9% said once a week or more. And here's what that means is 91% of us talk about Jesus with someone less than once a week. 91% of us. That is not a normal, common practice for us. And so today, we're going to see Jesus rescuing an outsider. And what I want to talk about from this text in Luke chapter 8 is really asking the question, why are we reluctant to? Why are we reluctant to rescue the outsider? So just as a quick recap, week one, we were in Luke chapter 5. We talked about how Jesus came to bring the outsiders in. In Luke chapter 7, Adam talked about last week just warming our hearts to outsiders. Today, we're in Luke chapter 8 talking about why are we reluctant to reach them as we look at Jesus' interactions with outsiders. This is an unbelievable story, an incredible showdown of Jesus against evil forces, a man under the influence of 2,000 demons. And Jesus says, hey, we need to go across the lake to get this guy. Now this guy, to paint the picture, okay, he's naked, he's chained up, he's been breaking chains, he's cutting himself with rocks and shards of glass, he's screaming out, people are terrified, Mark tells us that they will go out of their way to avoid him. This story shows up here in Luke, it shows up also in Matthew and in Mark, we have lots of context to paint the picture of what this showdown actually looks like as Jesus comes face to face with a human being under the influence of 2,000 demonic forces. Jesus, what, what Luke does is he goes to great lengths to show you that Jesus is reversing the curse. Okay, he's reversing the work of the enemy. First John chapter three, verse eight says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so Luke wrote this gospel to a Greek audience showing you that Jesus 
is destroying the devil's work. Everywhere he goes, it's, it's reversing, he's reversing the curse. So it's like this. If I had a glass vase right here, and I was holding a glass vase, and I dropped it, and it hit the stage and shattered, and shards of glass went everywhere, shot out everywhere, right? You see, that's like what happened in the fall in Genesis chapter three. Now, as Jesus shows up on the scene, everywhere he walks, it would be like if, if in slow, slow motion, you could watch that glass vase coming back together and becoming whole again. He, he's reversing disease. He's reversing death. He's reversing disaster, as in natural disaster. And here you see him coming face to face, dealing with demonic forces. Let's dive in. Luke chapter eight, verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Now this kind of starts off mid-story, but what happens before this? What happens before this? There's, there's something that occurs in the text right before we're here where it says they were sailing across the lake. They were already on the lake, and it's the story of a storm. If you've been in church long, you've heard this story, and it says it's where Jesus calms the storm. I'll read it to you in verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Why did he say that? Because he knew there was a man possessed by 2,000 demons and he said, I gotta go, go see this one. I got work to do. Boys, let's go. Load up, get in a boat. We got work to do. I, I think, I think Jesus woke up thinking about this guy. This guy was on his heart. He's like, man, there's a man in trouble and he's going to be a means to me to advance the gospel so Jesus goes to rescue him. It says, so they got in a, into a boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. What? These were fishermen. These were professional fishermen. They grew up on that lake. They had sailed to and fro, been all over that lake. They knew it like the back of their hand. And now they're in the middle of the lake. Jesus is sleeping. They're afraid for their lives. This was no normal storm. Where did this storm come from? They're sailing across the lake. Jesus is sleeping. And all of a sudden, there's waves so great that these fishermen are afraid they're going to die. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. He says, where is your faith? What did he rebuke? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I hadn't thought much about this until I was reading commentaries this week. I believe this was Satan's efforts to deter the Son of God from going to save this man's life. One theologian said this, there is broad consensus among New Testament scholars that the source of this storm is demonic. It's like Satan is watching, he's like, oh man, not the garrison demoniac, not, that's my boy, man. That's where 2,000 of my guys are playing with this man. Like, don't, don't go after him. Okay, oh, perfect. Jesus is sleeping. Send the storm. Let's see if we can take him out. Like Luke presents the struggle, but there's not really much of a struggle. More about that later. But we're talking about why we're reluctant to rescue outsiders. The first reason, there's always resistance. 
There's always resistance, right? Why is there always resistance? Because you're battling the second strongest force in the world. What does the enemy hate more than anything? Someone coming to the faith. Someone trusting their lives to Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about this? That whenever you go to share your faith, evangelize, share the gospel with someone, you are coming against the work of the enemy. He hates that. And so if you struggle in that, if it feels hard, if it doesn't seem like it's going well, that's, that's exactly the way it's supposed to feel in this fallen world where Satan is the prince of this air or the little g god of this world. It's hard. It's difficult. Satan is real and he hates anyone telling the story of Jesus defeating him on the cross. He hates it. And so we think we're afraid that someone that someone is gonna be uncomfortable when we share our faith. We think that they might be offended. When you share your faith, the devil is offended. Satan is offended. And so here's my encouragement to you is just because it's work doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not obedience. Like this is what the scriptures call us to do. If it's hard, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be hard. Imagine this, right? Like that you're looking at it, this cave. You got these 12 boys and their 25-year-old soccer coach in. Bring in some cave expert. He knows, hey, there's a 15-inch opening a couple miles in there. I don't know where those guys are at. It's flooded. This is going to be really hard. What? It's going to be really hard? Well, let's not do it then. Let them die. I mean, we can't get them out. How are we going to get them out? I don't know. Leave them in there. You know, they shouldn't have went in there in the first place. But that's not anybody's attitude. There's people inside. Let's go get them out. In fact, one Thai ex-Navy SEAL gave his life trying to save these boys. He died in the process. And so the difficulty for us is it's gonna be uncomfortable. It's gonna be awkward. They might think less of me. I don't know how they're gonna respond. Like this is the, ch- the challenge for us. Don't think the enemy's not playing around in that narrative too, right? He didn't want you to share your faith. He didn't want you to share your faith. This week, I've been teaching in Cedar Hill every night. There's a camp down there in Cedar Hill. And so every night, I've been driving down there, and it's uh, about 1,300 7th through 12th graders. And it was a really bad week uh, for this to land on. It kind of snuck up on me because I was teaching this weekend. And, and, um, and so, I, you know, as I went down there, Monday night, that was the first night I was going to teach. Well, Monday early morning or late Sunday night, I got the stomach bug. And so I was up all night with this stomach bug. It's just a terrible thing. And, uh, and then Tuesday came around, right? And, and with Tuesday, uh, I, it, it, this is weird, but I had the most vivid dream that night. I mean, way out of the ordinary, just vivid, terrible, bad dream that I, I woke up and I just 
remembered in the greatest detail that sit on me, it sat on me like a fog. In every meeting I was in that day, every time I went to prepare, I just kept thinking about that dream. On Wednesday, I hit uh, really bad traffic going down there. I was, I was running late, had this crazy day. Thursday, uh, it started raining, and so that also created some traffic. It was a really difficult day. I had no time to work on the message that I needed to give down there, and then on top of everything, I lost my voice that night. And this camp is a Baptist camp. They had asked me to do an altar call, which is not something that I do very often, and, uh, and so I'm a little uncomfortable doing that, and so I'm, I'm preaching this message that is weak in the fact that it's given by a weak communicator at the, at the moment, and, uh, and at the end of this message, I just say, and it's just me sharing the gospel every, no, every way I know how, I say, hey, does anybody want to give their life to Jesus Christ, to believe in this moment that he died for their sins and that God raised him from the dead? And, and, and so, and that you're saved by that. If, if you would like to trust in that now, I want you to raise your hand. And about 400 hands went up. And I was like, man, I, they must be misunderstanding me. I'm like, no, if when you came in here, you, you were not following Jesus, but, but now you say, hey, I want to follow Jesus with my life. I believe that he's paid for my sins. I, I, when I came into the room, I, I wasn't going to heaven, but now I'm going to heaven. I want you to stand up. And hundreds of these students stood up. And now I'm like trying to talk them out. I'm like, no, 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 don't let me manipulate you, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I know I'm passionate, but, but hold on. If you really wanna give your life to Jesus, then come forward. And there's just these traffic jams in the aisles of all these kids moving. I got emotional just watching. I'd never seen a work of God like that in a moment. I'm just like, what is going on? And I'm like, oh, that's why it's been such a difficult week. I get it now. And let me be abundantly clear. I'm not a Satan's behind every bush guy, and you shouldn't be either. Greater is he who is in you than the one who's in the world. Okay, I know that. First John 4, 4, I get that, right? And, and I can't tell you with any level of certainty what the enemy was doing. I don't know. I, I can't see his work always. But I am certain that that wasn't the outcome he was going for. And that that's the outcome that he is adamantly working against. I'm not going to go a whole lot further on that. But I'll give you two resources you can write down. Real truth, real quick. Uh, there's one that's can Satan be bound. And another one, how much power does Satan have? Those are two great resources for you to check out later. Verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. It's interesting because when the storm hit earlier, Jesus, this Satan's bringing back all his powers against Jesus, trying to stop him. Jesus wakes up. Hush. And it's still. I mean, the force is strong with this one. I mean, this is crazy, right? Hush. Still. And the guys are like, they're freaked out. They're like, who is this guy? The disciples, they don't know who he is. They're like, who is this man that the winds and waves obey him? And here, they just learned who he is. You know who told them? A demon. There's a, a good quiz answer for you. How did the disciples learn that Jesus was the Son of God? 
A demon told him. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. (laughs) This guy's under guard. Could you imagine that job? Like you're some rookie Roman soldier. And it's like, all right, what's my assignment? Well, there's this crazy guy down by the cemetery. We need you to chain him up and watch him day and night. That's your gig. You, you go get to watch Crazy Gary. This is before psych wards and insane asylums. And so what did they do with this man? In their compassion toward him, they just chained him up at the cemetery. That's what they did with him. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. A, a legion is 2,000 Roman soldiers. And so what Satan is doing, he's using military term. There's a lot of us. And Luke is presenting the battle. Jesus versus the devil. But friends, it ain't much of a battle. There's no battle here. Watch that. I mean, we're going to read on. You're going to see this is not much of a battle. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. To a Greek audience, the abyss was Hades, a place of torment that in their minds sat under the sea. The sea was a place of torment. Hades was below the abyss. This is where these demons didn't want to go. But it says a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And listen, I love this. And he gave them permission Is Jesus struggling here at all? Is he looking at this like, oh no, I don't know what to do. It's 2,000 of them. He's like, yeah, I guess you can go into the pigs. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. He's just like a random side note from me. Anybody else ever picture these these pigs uh, jumping off a cliff? That's always what I've pictured, right? Doing a swine dive off a cliff. Um, But when I went here, to where this happened. And actually there was a cliff on one side of Galilee. I'm like, is that where the pigs, the garrison demoniac? And, the, and the, the guy's like, no, that's over there. And so we go over there where the garrison demoniac was. There's no cliffs. There's just a steep bank. And I said, but where's the cliffs the pigs jumped off of? That's what the, the Bible says. They jumped off the cliffs. It doesn't say that. It says they ran down a steep bank. That's even crazier in my mind. That these pigs, they just run as scurry as fast as they can into the water and just keep running. It's crazy. Just a crazy picture. Let's agree this escalated quickly. Okay? <laughs> I mean, this, is, this got real bad real fast. And so why are we reluctant to rescue outsiders? Let's agree this guy, he's in a real, real bad place before he met Jesus. And the reason we're reluctant to rescue outsiders is we think they're out of reach. We think they're too far gone. But here's the reality, friends. You've never seen someone this far gone. This takes away all your excuses for your belligerent boss, your crazy brother, that neighbor who hates the church because they were hurt by the church, you know, your your mother-in-law or your sister, or your crazy uncle. 
This guy, I mean, you might think your mother-in-law has 2,000 demons, but, but she probably doesn't, right? I mean, this guy, there's no struggle here. Jesus is just continuing to move forward and advancing the gospel. And so it might take you a while. You might run into all kinds of obstacles. I know right about now you're thinking of that person that you don't want to share with because family's hard or those close to you are hard. It may take time, but I want to remind you from two weeks ago, your role in it in faithfully sharing patient hope. Patient hope. Be hopeful of what God desires, not anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And patient in your sharing, not growing frustrated with them, not letting your emotions get in the way of your effectiveness. That diver, that first British diver that went into that cave, can you imagine what he's thinking after he's gone five hours and one mile in to the cave and he hasn't found him and he's swimming against currents? Like right about the, in one, in the one mile mark, I would be tempted to say, hey, they're not in here, guys. I don't see them. I've seen some places they could have been. They're not here. You go a little bit further, one and a half miles. You get to two miles. What point do you give up? How far is he going to go? But then two and a half miles, that's where they were. I don't know how often you need to share with them, and I don't know when they're going to respond to the gospel, but I know your role is to have patient hope in your sharing. And no one is too far gone. It's a misnomer. No one is too far gone. They're either gone or they're not gone. No one's, there's no too far gone, right? They either have the Holy Spirit or they don't. And, and the, what it takes for God to, to save them is the same all across the board. Is it harder for Jesus to encounter a person with one demon or 2,000 demons? Which one is more work for Jesus? It doesn't seem like it requires much effort from Jesus at all. It may be more work for you. Maybe with one you need to pray and fast faithfully share it may be more time for you but with God it's the same amount of effort regardless right and that's who is with you Jesus is with you I think no matter how long we've been in the church no matter how long we've had a faith we still at some subconscious level subscribe to this idea of dualism that there's this equal force of good and bad and they're at battle and there's a struggle there's no struggle here there's just Jesus marching on, advancing the gospel, plowing through anything the enemy could throw at him. Satan's begging for permission. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age, that's little g God, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is who we're fighting when we're sharing our faith. And his tactics, they're the same today as they were then. This man in bondage, he's naked. Some commentaries say that's an attack on perversion or an attack on sexuality. 
which I can see, I mean, the, the enemy seems to focus on sexuality. That's an area, that's a fence that he likes to play in. Why would he do that? Why would, he, why would he go against sex? Because sex is a gift from God. God invented it. And there's a benefit of sex. It's called procreation. In fact, the first great commission is to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That, that a means to creating converts is to having babies and, and teaching them the gospel and the Bible and God's word. And so I can imagine that Satan would come against that with all the forces that he can and try to pervert it and try to corrupt it. This man is, is bound and under guard. Satan seeks to make you a slave. Every, people I meet all the time, and myself included, there's something that we want the freedom to pursue that we begin to pursue, and in our pursuit of it, we can't stop pursuing it. We become a slave to it, and it could be many things. It could be alcohol. I want the freedom to drink alcohol. I drink alcohol. I drink alcohol. I drink alcohol, and all of a sudden now, I'm so used to it, I don't have the freedom not to, but it can also be something like work. Man, I want that job so bad, that job, I want that job, I want that job, I get that job, I'm giving my life to this job, I want to make partner, and I, and I love my job, and I love my job, and now I don't have the freedom to move away from it. It's become a part of my identity. It could be pornography. It could be money. I want money so bad, and now my heart's wrapped up in it. Materialism, things, stuff, status. It can be good things, like children. That which you want, the freedom to pursue, all of a sudden you don't have the freedom not to pursue. You've become a slave to it. This man, he is bleeding and he's crying out. Mark 5, 5 says, Satan loves when people hurt themselves, cut themselves, wound themselves, afflict themselves. He's isolated and living among the tombs. He seeks to push you out of fellowship. This is why, friends, the elders here care so much about your heart and you being in fellowship with this body that everything we do, everything they do is seeking to bring you back into fellowship to this body when you're running away. The means of church discipline here is to give you a path to restore you to fellowship. And because the enemy seeks to isolate someone and surround them by death, this is why we have to go rescue them. We have to go seek them out. We have to go faithfully share with them, treating them like an unbeliever or a tax collector, the scripture says. Loving them and sharing the gospel with them, calling them to repentance. And you say, yeah, but JP, that's Jesus, right? Yeah, it's Jesus. Remember what the Great Commission says? And lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This one, that's who you take with you into battle. That's who's with you. So I, I just want to make this abundantly clear. This is not two cage fighters struggling to get each other to tap out. This is knife versus butter, okay? This is like Brock Lesnar versus a cupcake. That's what you're watching here. There's no struggle with Jesus. Some of you are like, who's Brock Lesnar? Look it up later. Incredible Hulk, if you will. I don't know. 
and he's face to face with 2,000 demons and he effortlessly cast them out into pigs which drowned themselves into the place they didn't want to go in the first place. Have you struggled in sharing your faith? It just seems like it's not going anywhere. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with a guy in the gym. I call him Pablo. It's not his name. Made it up. He, he just moved here. And, um, and we were talking about things. I just said, hey, Pablo, do you have a faith? I said, yeah, I mean, you know, I believe there's a God. I said, let me ask you two questions. It's just what I do, you know, Kennedy questions, diagnostic questions. Between one and 10, 10 being certain, one being not so sure. If you died today, Pablo, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? And he said, I'm a two. I said, man, why are you a two, bro? He said, man, I just, just hung his head in shame. He said, I just, I've done some things, man. I've just done some things. Well, I, I've heard this before, right? So I got a line for this because I always reference the Apostle Paul, you know, because he did some things. I'm like, he killed people, you know, so I'm just like, let me ask you a question, Pablo. You know, how many people have you killed? To which he goes, I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, okay, all right, all right, you've done some things, I'm tracking with you now, okay, all right, man, uh, you know, okay, wow, um, all right, so that, I'm just bringing out my best stuff, right, I'm like, okay, uh, well, let me just say, let's say I give you a Mavericks ticket, okay, I give you a ticket to the Mavericks game, and you go over to the Mavericks game, the American Airlines Center, they look at you, and they say, why should we let you in, what are you going to say? He said, I'm going to say, because I have a ticket. I said, that's right, because you have a ticket, and what did they say, well, did you pay for that ticket, what are you going to say? No, I'm going to tell him it was a gift. I'm like, that's right. And salvation is a gift. It comes from God. The, the, your ticket into heaven is not what you do. It's what Christ did for you. His death on the cross is a payment for your sins. And I'm just, I'm dropping all my best up. And he's like, man, that is amazing. That's so good. I've never heard that. And I'm like, that's right. So let me ask you again, between one and 10, 10 being certain, one being not so sure. If you died today, how certain are you that you go to heaven? He said, man, I'm a two. So I come back, you know, a week later, because I go about once a week, that's what I do. And so, uh, um, and I'm like, hey, what's up, Pablo? How you doing? Good. I said, man, you know, between one and 10, Tiffany said, with all due respect, I'm a two. Gosh, didn't move. I said, all right, man. Well, why are you a two? He said, I told you, I've just done some things. I said, Pablo, you, you know what? The only thing you can do in hell that's the alternative. You don't go to heaven, you go to hell. You know the only thing you can do in hell? He said, no, what? I said, pay for your sins. That's it. That's all you can do in hell. You pay for your sins there. And I said, Pablo, what I'm trying to tell you is your sins have already been paid for. Right? Like if I, if I bought you a drink right now, and I went and I paid up them, and I, I gave you this protein shake, and you went to the front desk, and you said, hey, I want to pay for this protein shake, what are they going to tell you? And he said, they're going to say, it's already been paid for. I'm like, Bobby, Pablo, that's what I'm saying. It's already been paid for. And he goes, oh, man. That's really clear. That's, that's okay. I see now. Said, Let me ask you a question. Between one and ten. Ten being certain, one being not so sure. If you die. He said, man, I think I'm, I think I'm a two. <laughs> She's like, What? Can't even be a three, I mean something, you know, what? <laughs> Happy to tell you. Pablo said he was a 10 the other day, said he's gonna be in. He said, I said, why? He said, because Christ, 
pay for my sins on the cross, you know. Nobody's too far out of reach, man. There's nobody too far out of reach. Patient hope. There's nobody too far out of reach. The guy that, that led worship today, that humble, meek character up here with the guitar singing beautiful songs to Jesus, that dude used to be in a gang. His first band was called the Shroom Queens, okay? I'm serious. That's who is, is singing praise songs to Jesus this morning, okay? The, the guy who does announcements here on Saturday, he used to pay homeless people to drink with him. The, the lady who leads region, regeneration, her house used to be under surveillance because of suspicious drug activity. The lady who leads in re-engage or marriage ministry, she used to have two phones because one, you know, for her family and one for her adulterous affairs. The, the guy who keeps this place in order, who, who walks around and makes sure this place is beautiful and running well, he, he's... Guilty of grand theft auto. He's robbed a bank. And he sold 25 pounds of weed to an undercover officer. That's just our staff. <laughs> the dude that's speaking to you right now, right? Cocaine user. Women abuser. And altogether loser. And God, I mean, he takes garrison demoniacs. Who are you losing hope for? God has a plan for them, and he's bigger than whatever situation they're stuck in. Jesus rescued me. Jesus rescued us. And when those tending, verse 34, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at his Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, it says. See, these folks, they weren't happy. They lost 2,000 pigs. Okay? Like, man, that's great that he's, well, where are the pigs? <laughs> it's interesting that when they had to get those boys out of that cave, they had to pump out 40% of the water and it, and it drowned the crops there. And in an interview, the farmers said it was a privilege to play a role a part in saving these boys' lives. It's a very different perspective. It's not a main point, but I, important to say, you rescuing an outsider, make, it's gonna cost you something. Time, money, comfort, material things. Verse 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. When all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. They're not grateful. They're afraid of change. They were, they were used to the maniac who lived in the tombs who they avoided. They were used to having their pigs and they didn't like the power that Jesus had. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, listen, listen, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told over, all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Guys, let's agree, this is crazy what's going on. I mean, could you imagine if you were there, the, the people who saw it, they leave, they, guys, you gotta come see this. This is insane. You're not gonna believe what happened. And you walk up and you look out in the Sea of Galilee, there's 2,000 pigs floating on the Sea of Galilee and you look and you're like, Gary? 
is that you? And he's clothed in his right mind, sitting on a bench with a smile on his face, you know, all dressed. And what's up, Philip? How you doing, man? How's Linda and the kids? You guys doing well? Bro, what happened to you? Where's your, your chains? You got clothes on. Jesus. Jesus happened to me. What happened to the pigs? Jesus. <laughs> Actually, Satan. <laughs> um, and so what he wants to do is he wants to go with the man who saved him. Safe there. All these people are angry. Let me go with you. Jesus said, no, I want you to stay. I want you to tell them all that God has done for you. That's what he's saying to you right now. I want you to go and tell them all the wonderful works that God has done for you. So why are we reluctant to rescue outsiders? Because we're reticent to retell the story. Because we're reticent to retell the story. Reticent means inclined to be silent. We're reticent to retell the story. See, retelling the story is the method of the rescuing. It's a, it's a historical narrative about Jesus paying the price for the sins and coming back to life. And so this is the only rescue story that we're reticent to retell. Like any rescue story, I mean, that one time that you got that kid out of that tree or that cat out of that tree or whatever was stuck in that tree, you're telling all your friends everywhere you go, these boys in Thailand, it's the front page news in newspapers all over the world. I wanted to show a video of newscasters speaking in a bunch of different languages, one after the other after the other, talking about these boys rescued because we loved retelling rescue stories, except this one for some reason, that you've been rescued from hell to the greatest place, the greatest being, the greatest God in the world. And, and, and so for these boys in Thailand, they, they're throwing a parade, a party, a celebration. It's nothing compared to the celebration that is thrown when someone responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a party in heaven with the angels and the saints. Luke 15 verse 10 says, in the same way, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents that there's a rescue party. And if you're sitting around and you're like, man, I just don't know how to share my faith. Just share your story. Just go out there and tell them of all the wonderful things that God has done for you. Do exactly what Jesus asked this guy to say. In Mark chapter 5, verse 20, it says that this man went to share in 10 cities all that Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed, it says, that 10 cities were impacted by the salvation of this one guy. Can you imagine who's going to be in his downline? We're going to see this guy in heaven. We're going to meet him. Can you go up there or here and, and meet the garrison demoniac? Who's in his downline? You might be in his downline. Could you imagine in one of those 10 cities that this guy shared the gospel in, that those, that those person, that person shared with somebody who 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 shared with your Sunday school teacher or your dad or the person who shared their faith with you. The greatest summary of this whole message is better than I could give you is caught in a quote by C.T. Studd who was successful by all the world's definition, he was an athlete, and he gave his life to missions, and he said this, 
Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within one yard of hell. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's what I want to give my life to. Everybody loves a good rescue mission. But you know what makes a good rescue mission? There's always resistance. Something to rescue them from. They're always out of reach or else they wouldn't need rescuing. And there's always a story to retell afterwards. There's always a story to retell afterwards. Tuesday, I woke up Tuesday morning and I picked up my phone and there were two notifications on it, one from CNN and one from weather.com and they both just said that these boys had gotten out. I kind of followed the storyline. I said, man, that's good news. And I was just thinking about that. That's good news. I wrote this. I'll just read it to you. This was on, I posted on Instagram. I said, good news. Who doesn't love starting their day with good news? The gospel just means good news or good tidings of Jesus or the, the good story. Why is the story about Jesus good? Because it is a rescue story about a person trapped with no hope of survival, it is an impossible rescue mission that if fully understood would capture the attention of the world. Even our most elite soldiers would not be able to accomplish this mission, although the one who would successfully carry it out would give his life. That was the method of the saving. It was an exchange. One perfect life in exchange for the many corrupt lives of sinners. Jesus gave himself for us in order to offer to us all that was available in him. I pray that we would grasp all that we've been saved from today and all that we've been saved to. We love rescue stories. Many of the movies that you'll go to watch, the books that you'll read, the new stories that will captivate your heart, they're commercials, they're, they're fragments of a greater rescue story that you've been placed in the middle of. God coming to the earth to rescue you. Jesus, the son of God, endured the wrath of God, God's anger at your sin. Jesus paid an eternal price for your sin, being an eternal God in a moment on a cross. Jesus endured all of the sufferings that Satan has for you in hell. You consider what Satan, the enemy, demons did to this man. And then consider what Jesus endured for you. He was naked, publicly humiliated. He was bound and under guard. He was bleeding. Stabbed in the sides, nails in his hands and feet, whipped, skin torn from his body, bleeding and crying out for you. He was isolated, separated from his followers, separated from people who loved him, placed in the tombs. But he didn't just stay among the tombs he walked out of the tomb he defeated death for you 
so that you might have life, so that you can follow him. And he said, friends, I want you to go and tell of all the wonderful things that I've done for you. See, your bicycle, it was sitting outside the gates of hell. Oh, no. It's where he is. And Jesus said, I got this one. I'm not coming back till I got him. They're going to be with me. I'll endure whatever it takes. I'm going to rescue him. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for rescuing us. That you would leave the 99 and come after the one for us. Father, that you're bigger than anything that the enemy could throw at us, that you just move swiftly through his fiercest attacks, effortlessly triumphing over him. Father, help us to know that the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. Help us to walk out of here with the confidence and the courage to share the story that we've been a part of, the one that you've placed us in. We love you, Lord. We worship you now. In Christ's name, amen.